Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masechet Nazir. Uh, this is our final class for Masechet Nazir. Uh, it is our ninth shiur, so we've been learning for nine weeks Masechet Nazir. Uh, today we are going to be learning Daf 58 till 66, so we have a lot to do today. Um, and I um, and we're going to finish the Masechet, even though really on Daf Yomi, uh, we really finish on Thursday. Um, um, but we are going to finish it tonight. Um, okay, here, okay, here we go. So Daf 58, um, we are talking about um, a person who is a Nazir and also um, becomes a Mitzorah, somebody who be gets Tzara'at. Uh, again, Tzara'at is uh, what we would call nowadays leprosy, but it's important to recognize that when, when the Gemara or when the Torah speak about Tzara'at, um, they're speaking of a physical affliction, but of a spiritual nature, meaning uh, tzarat in the Torah is something that you get as a punishment for different things. The main thing that is discussed is uh, Lashon Hara, speaking about uh, other people. And um, so again, we'll call it leprosy. It was some sort of uh, skin affliction. Um, but again, it, it, it's of a spiritual nature. And because of that, there's a whole uh, process or ceremony in order to become pure after um, getting tzarat. Part of the process is that the, the person who had tzarat needed to shave their entire body. Um, so uh, we said that the, the mitzorat, the person who has tzarat shaves their body. We know that a Nazir is not allowed to shave their head. So here, um, the Gemara is talking about um, shaving the head. And we left off last week uh, discussing if there is a prohibition. We know that a man is not allowed to uh, shave his beard uh, with a razor. Um, therefore, with a with a shaver, um, you, um, it's it's seen as like scissors and not like a razor. Um, but um, the question last time that we left off with was, uh, can a man shave their their head completely because it would shave off their peot, uh, and peot is an issue to um, to shave off. Uh, so the Gemara says, right, that the Nazir, who's a Mitzorah, is allowed to shave their head, but in general, um, um, or uh, that would be uh, that would be a, an issue, um, and other men can. And the Gemara in Daf 58 says, no, everybody says that there is no... Um, there is no isur, there is no prohibition for a man to shave his whole head, but you can't first cut off the peot uh, before cutting, you know, the rest of the head. That would be a prohibition. Or the Gemara says, no, it doesn't matter the, the order. Um, either way is fine or either way is prohibited. Um, then... Uh, the Gemara says, no, the opposite. Everyone says that you can't shave your entire head. Um, but 
Uh, here we have an, the issue of the Mitzorah who needs to shave his head, uh, and therefore he can shave his head. Uh, the Gemara says we learn it from Tzitzit, uh, that uh, a positive commandment, uh, in Hebrew the, the phrase is ase doche lotase, the positive commandment of having to shave your head um, pushes off or, or um, overrides having to uh, maintain a negative commandment, right? Don't shave your head. Uh, the same thing with tzitzit, you're not allowed to mix wool and linen, except for tzitzit, you can, again, the fringes on the corner of a garment can be wool and linen. Um, and um, here we said that, uh, as I mentioned, we keep using the word shaving. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Lynn asked already in the beginning of the uh, of the um, of the Masechet, Lynn asked if um, if shaving literally meant uh, literally meant um, shaving with a razor. And um, the answer is yes. Um, and here, uh, sorry, one second. Um, yeah. um, so um, the, the Gemara tells us here that cutting with scissors is not called shaving. Uh, and therefore, for the mitzorah, the, the, the person with tzarat or the nazir, uh, they must do it with a razor. Uh, they cannot do it with scissors. That would not be... Uh, that would not be okay. Um, a person can shave the rest of their body with a razor. Uh, the Gemara says, actually, this could be an issue of doing things that women do. Uh, it's interesting that this is already a discussion uh, in the Gemara. Um, the Gemara is going to explain in a minute what we're talking about. Um, and from here, uh, the Gemara talks about can men shave their underarms or their pubic area. Um, it seems that it is problematic because that is what women generally do. Uh, and men are not allowed to do things that women do. We're going to get to the verse in a minute. Um, and again, here we mean with a razor, but with scissors, it would be okay. Um, the Gemara says, no. This is actually a rabbinic prohibition, not a deoraita, not from the from the Torah. Um, <clears throat> the Gemara asks, what is the prohibition? Um, da 59 tells us that the Torah says that men cannot wear garments of women, uh, right? Lotilbash gever simlat isha. A man is not allowed to wear a woman's garment. Uh, and the Gemara says it doesn't only mean garment, it means even a um, doing things that women generally do, um, <clears throat> i.e. shaving with a razor is something that women do and men should not do it. And here the Gemara discusses, is this biblical or is it um, rabbinic in origin? Uh, so too for women, right, it says kli gever, uh, women are not allowed to wear men's clothing. This is where the idea that women should not wear pants uh, comes from, uh, and men cannot wear women's garments. Uh, again, here the Gemara says it's not so much about the garment itself, but 
if many use the garment to uh, sit amongst the women uh, and be inappropriate, that would be a problem. Uh, another way to understand this, the Gemara says, is Kli Gever uh, is not necessarily pants, uh, but it could be that women should not wear weapons of war. Uh, it's interesting to, to understand that at the beginning of uh, the state of Israel, there was a, really a discussion if women could fight in the army, could they have, um, can they have weapons? Uh, maybe it was because of this idea, uh, maybe it was too um, masculine in the sense of women were not allowed to wear masculine things. Uh, the Gemara um, here says that it would be a problem in 1948, it was discussed, uh, you know, in terms of women being in the war, and the uh, rabbis decided that because it was for self-defense, uh, for the, you know, establishment of the country, for the continuing uh, um, survival of the country, it is not problematic. And nowadays in the Israeli army, uh, women do have guns, walk around with guns, and um, it is less of a problem. Um, okay, um, the, the next Mishnah tells us if, sorry, um, ah, if you remember last week, one second, on, ah, at the beginning of the chapter on DA 57, we have a Mishnah about two people who were Nizirim, uh, and they said, uh, another person came to them and said, I saw that one of you became impure. I'm not sure which one. And there was a whole thing that they needed to do. Um, and the Mishnah tells us now on Da 59, if one of the Nizirim died, so then what do you do? The survivor should find someone else and um, ask him to become a Nazir, and now do this whole thing, right? We'll bring the sacrifices together. If I was pure, this one is mine. If you were pure, this one is yours. Um, so again, they do the same idea, right? If I was impure, um, then you are a Nazir right away, uh, and then this sacrifice is yours. Um, if I was pure, then you only become a Nazir in 30 days. Um, and then they count 30 days and then they bring more sacrifices and they do the same idea, right? If I was impure, then the impure sacrifice is mine and the, the pure sacrifice is yours and then vice versa. Um, and then uh, Ben Zoma says to this Mishnah, right? In the end, if you, the whole Mishnah basically says this person would be a Nazir for 60 days. Uh, and the Benzoma says, why would someone want to be a Nazir for 60 days, right? It wasn't their, uh, it wasn't their, um, you know, it wasn't their choice. Um, and um, why, why are you saying um, that this person um, would want to be a Nazir? Uh, it doesn't make sense. So the Gemara says, um, you're right. So Benzoma gives the idea, rather, what should you do? The original Nazir um, should bring two sacrifices, a, um, a bird sin offering and a, a burnt offering from an, of an animal. 
and basically the way it works is um, we'll bring, I'll bring these two animals. One of them will be for the impurity. The other will be for if I was pure and the other one, right? If I was pure, so then the impure one will be just a, a, either a gift or it doesn't count and vice versa, right? So basically if I was impure and uh, then the sin offering is my obligation and the burnt offering, the Ola is just a gift, and if I was really the pure one, then the Ola, the burnt offering is mine. And the sin offering is right just in case I made a mistake. And then you count another 30 days and you just bring the sacrifice for the purity for Tahara. And then again, if I was impure, then this one is my obligation. If I was originally pure, so then this one is just bonus, right? And the Dava, it's just a gift that I'm giving to the temple. Um, but, right, this seems to say that um, bringing sacrifices in parts are okay, right? Because if the first part is given in the beginning and then you have to wait um, 30 days for uh, the next sacrifice, um, it seems to be that this is not a problem. Uh, and the Gemara is going to discuss what this means. So uh, the Gemara says, um, again, what does it matter if there is a gap in between uh, in between sacrifices? Um, and the Gemara says, you're right, it's not really a problem uh, if there is a gap between the sacrifices. Uh, the next Mishnah tells us that a Nazir, uh, let's say he was, uh, this we saw actually last week, uh, this was the case where a Nazir wasn't sure if he became impure, tamemet, uh, and he's not sure if he has sara'at. Uh, so then he can eat sacrificial meat after 60 days, and he finishes his nizirut after 120 days, right? And this is basically the idea uh, that um, they can, he cannot shave unless he knows that he needs to shave, Therefore, uh, he keeps waiting another 30 days and does another step in the purification process, uh, right? First, he has to uh, finish the sara'at, the leprosy uh, ceremony. Then he finishes uh, the ceremony for becoming pure, right? If he was impure. And then he finishes his nizirut. Uh, Duff 60 tells us that Again, here, he's, the person is going to shave. Sorry. Um, the person is going to have to shave numerous times throughout this process. Um, this is only if the Nizi root was for 30 days. If the Nizi root was for a year, so then they can only eat kudshim, right? Sacrificial meat after two years and they finish being a Nazir after four years. Uh, and again, this is the idea that um, they, they keep um, finishing off one uh, doubtful or one uh, ceremony. You shave, wait another 30 days, and continue till you finish all of the sacrifices that need to be brought. Um, the uh, the Gemara, the, yes, uh, so now we continue, um, that, 
uh, again, the person cannot shave after seven days because maybe uh, they really don't need to shave. Again, this is all dealing with doubt, right? In Hebrew, the word is safek. If there's a safek, then we can't, again, if he's a nazir, we can't shave because of a safek. So we have to wait 30 days uh, and then the person can uh, can shave uh, their head. Um, okay, um, the, the Gemara continues. Uh, how each of these things, uh, how the the um, the process works, um, and how they need to shave. Basically, every thirty days, uh, the person shaves either because they are a mitzorah, they have tzarat, or because of tumah, they're uh, they're impure, or um, because they are finishing their nizirut. Uh, their nizirut uh, status. Um, so, as I mentioned, uh, on Daf 61, uh, there it takes 120 days if there were two doubts, again, a safek, if they became impure and if they uh, got tarat. Uh, the Gemara says you can't shave in the middle, therefore you need to do four shavings once after, after every 30 days. Uh, after every 30 days, uh, can they uh, can they shave their head? Um, so we see that the shaving is really a mitzvah, excuse me, a commandment, a mitzvah, and that's why they shave using a razor. Uh, and with that, we finish the eighth chapter, and we're going to begin the ninth and final chapter of uh, Masechet Nazir. Uh, so the Mishnah tells us that Kutim, again, Kutim are a nation that lived in Israel uh, in different parts of the Gemara. Sometimes we see them as Jews. Sometimes we see them as non-Jews. Uh, in this Mishnah, uh, the Rashi says we're talking about idol worshippers. Uh, so we see that we're talking about non-Jews. Um, so they cannot be uh, a Nazir. A woman and a slave can be a nazir. Um, here, when we say slave, we're talking about a non-Jewish slave that's owned by a Jew. Uh, the Gemara, the Mishnah says that the master can force the slave to break the nazirut, um, but he cannot force his wife to break the nazirut. Again, we know that he can revoke the vow, but if he did not revoke the vow, um, he cannot force her to break it. So the Gemara explains, um, this is based on a verse that only Jewish people can be Nizirim, uh, and this includes slave, slaves, even though they're owned by other people, they can become a Nazir. Um, Okay, um, ah, so the question is, there's another verse uh, that discusses um, about uh, if a Jew, if a non-Jew can become a Nazir, uh, and the Gemara asks, maybe we're talking about um, the issue of inheritance, meaning if a son can inherit from their father, uh, that person can become a Nazir. Uh, and we know that according to Jewish law, Parenthood 
based on the father's lineage is complicated, uh, and therefore, um, maybe that is the source that a non-Jew cannot be a Nazir. Uh, and the Gemara says, no, there's another verse uh, that talks about uh, a person being part of the congregation, the Kahal, that person can be a Nazir, that's only Jews and not non-Jews. Um, okay, um, the, sorry, um, Daf, Daf 62 um, tells us that non-Jews can uh, make vows uh, and they can uh, make pledge vows and give offerings um, and give value vows, meaning what's called erchin. Uh, erech means value. Um, so they can make these vows. Um, so too minors who are on the verge of adulthood. Um, but, uh, ah, and here the Gemara says, uh, back to vows, we actually learned this already, that partial declarations of vows, uh, which are unclear, are invalid. We actually learned this concept, it was called yadaim. Um, yadaim really means hands, but it means like something to hold on to. Um, and we learned that vows need to be very clear uh, in order for them to be, um, to, for them to be um, um, valid. Okay, our next Mishnah on Daf 62 uh, tells us that slaves uh, are more, when we're talking about Nizirut, slaves are more stringent than women because the father or the husband, as we said before, the father or the husband can revoke the wife's vows, but not the slaves, um, right? Um, the slave can make the, the the master can make the slave um, violate his vow, but he cannot revoke it. Um, if the slave is set free, so then his vow goes into effect. So the Gemara explains, uh, again, as I said, uh, a master can force the slave to violate Nizirut, uh, but not a regular vow. Why? Uh, so the Gemara explains maybe Nizirut only applies to someone who is his own master. Um, and uh, the, the Gemara explains that really the case is that um, Nizirut would affect the slave's work, right? If you're not able to drink wine, again, in those days, most people drink a lot of wine. Um, and if you couldn't drink wine, it would make you weaker. And the master wants to make sure that the slave is strong and can do their work um, and therefore um, they can force the person to um, to uh, violate the vow. Um, or um, maybe again uh, the Nizirut vow of a slave is effective and as we mentioned the master can override it uh, if he wants him to break it. Um, Okay, the next Mishnah. Um, if the slave, uh, if a slave ran away, and um, again they took on this vow of being a nazir, Rabbi Meir says that if they run away, they still can't drink wine, right? They're still considered a nazir. Rabbi Yossi says uh, they can drink wine, 
because the master's obligation uh, objection to the nizirut still stands, even though the slave ran away. So the Gemara explains that the machloket is if the master says that the slave is ownerless, right? Does he need a bill of emancipation, right? This is called a get shichrur, just like we have a get to release a woman from marriage. We have what's called a get shichrur, which releases a slave from slavery. Um, and here the question is, let's say a slave runs away and the master gives up hope of retrieving him. So then is the slave free or do they still need this bill of emancipation? So Rabbi Yossi thinks that the master wants the slave to drink wine uh, even after he runs away so that he'll stay strong so that when he gets him back, he'll still be strong. Rabbi Meir says that the master wants the, um, the slave to suffer and therefore, again, not drinking wine is suffering. Uh, and therefore, uh, the, the slave is still in his ear uh, and cannot drink wine. Okay, Daf 63, the Mishnah tells us a Nazir who shaved and brought the sacrifices and then found out that he was impure by something discernible, meaning a dead body, he touched something. So now he has to repeat the nizirut. He has to repeat the whole thing over again. This is not the general opinion. So that's just important to understand. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, there's another concept here, which is the concept of, in Hebrew, it's called tum'at tehom, which means impurity of the deep. What does this mean? This is impurity of an unknown source. We don't know uh, where it came from. Um, so then if the Nazir became impure from this unknown source, so then he does not need to repeat the Nazirut. If he found out before he shaved, so then he has to repeat the Nazirut no matter what. Um, so what's the case? So the Gemara says, uh, let's say the person went into a cave to immerse in the mikvah. Right, again, uh, in the cave would be um, spring water. Um, so the person goes to the mikvah. Again, here the case is that the person was already impure from something else. And they go to the cave to immerse themselves, to purify themselves. And then uh, when they left, they saw that there was a dead body floating in the water. So now the question is, are they impure or pure? So the Gemaris, the Mishnah says they are impure uh, because maybe they were under the same roof as this dead body. Now, if the corpse was found embedded in the floor of the cave, so then if the Nazir went in, let's say uh, they went, he went into the cave for a swim, right? He didn't go because he was impure. Uh, let's say he just went, he was pure, he went into the cave uh, to go for a swim, then he comes out and he sees the body in the floor of the cave. Um, so then, again, it's a safek, we have a doubt. So then we say that the Nazir is pure. If he started off impure, right, and he went into the cave to purify himself, so then he remains 
impure because of this doubt. Um, so the Gemara, the Mishnah ends by saying, if you started off impure and now there's a doubt, you remain impure. If you started off pure and now there's a doubt, you remain pure, right? So Tahor and Tameh. Um, so now the Gemara explains that this is all based on a verse that um, teaches that one is impure from a, an impure source that's clear to you. If it's clear, so then you become impure. But tumat tahom, which is in the deep, meaning something we don't know anything about, only something, right, this is something that nobody knows about, right? Like, let's say there's an avalanche and it buries a dead body and you go start looking through the rubble. Um, so then you don't know if there's a body there. Therefore, if you were pure to begin with, you remain pure. Um, and the Gemara explains that this is a, a halacha lemoshe misinai, which means it is a law uh, that is passed down by tradition and not based on a verse. Um, now the Gemara explains that this Mishnah is according to Rabbi Eliezer, who says that shaving is an essential part of the process. Um, and therefore, um, even if you found out afterwards that you became impure, uh, it knocks out everything from before uh, and the person is uh, impure. But right, if the person became impure during the Nazir period, but only found out at the end on day 31, right? do we go according to uh, when they became impure? Uh, and then you lose all 30 days? Or do we go according to when they found out that they became impure, which is all the way at the end, and then you only lose seven days and not 30 days, right? Again, our Mishnah implies you lose all 30 days, even at the end of the process. Um, and that would be a proof from our Mishnah. Um, if someone found a corpse buried across the road, um, so then, right, again, let's say the road is this way, um, and they found a body buried this way, which means that for sure you walked over the dead body, so then you'd be impure. Well, not for, I shouldn't say for sure, most probably. Uh, so the Gemara says you are impure for truma, um, but for a nazir, and for Korban Pesach, you're pure, right? And that is, again, we're not sure if you really walked over it. If there was, let's say, space on either side of the road, so then you're pure across the board because we're, because of the doubt, um, sorry, because there is a doubt, we know that if there's a doubt in a in the public area, we assume that you are pure. Um, let's say um, it was in a grave, then the entire grave, even if the body wasn't there, but the entire grave, um, it does make a person impure. Um, and if the person was riding an animal or carrying something heavy, 
So then you probably leaned over. And if that's the case, you're probably impure because you probably leaned over the area of of the uh, of the body. Um, again, this is all for um, this the tumat tahom, which is of the deep, where nobody knew that a body was buried there. But if you did know, so then everybody is impure. Um, let's say there's a corpse that's buried under pebbles or straw, that would be called tehom, right? Again, nobody knows that it's there. Um, again, uh, uh, we mentioned floating in the water, right? Let's say there is something tame, something impure that is floating in water in a container or on the ground, meaning like in a pool of water that's sitting on the ground. So then um, the person is pure, as we mentioned before, with the cave. Or maybe we're going to make a distinction. If the the dead body is in some sort of container and um, floating on the water, so then um, it's seen as it's at rest. And therefore, the person would become impure. But if it's only floating in the water, right, without a container, then the person would be pure. Um, Dov 64 uh, explains that um, the question is, um, let's say the source of impurity was dragged or carried so again, we have a doubt whether you became impure. So the Gemara says that makes you impure. Um, but if it was thrown, let's say something was thrown over a grave, um, again, uh, this would actually probably be pure um, because um, we don't know if it actually um, went over. Ah, sorry, if a pure object was thrown over a grave, a corpse, so then it becomes tameh, it does become impure. Um, okay, now let's say we talked about the dead body floating on the water. Let's say the dead body is floating on a clee, right, some sort of utensil, right, we could call it a boat, um, and that's floating on the water. Now, does it make the person impure or pure or remain pure? Um, do we go according to the utensil, which is floating, or do we go according to the body, which is at rest? Um, and from here, we get into um, questions posed by Rami Barhama. Um, and these questions are uh, seem to be I don't want to use the word absurd, but seem to be pushing boundaries. So we said, what if, right, first we have the dead body floating in the water. Now the dead body is floating on top of a mattress on the water. Now, what if we had a, um, let's say we have a dead body on top of a sheretz, right? A sheretz is some creepy crawly animal uh, that again, uh, makes a person impure if there are eight specific animals that are called shretzim, they're lizards or uh, some sort of rodents. Um, so let's say the dead body is floating on top of the sheret. 
or let's say the sheret is on top of another sheret, or let's say um, the sheret is on top of a dead animal, right? And basically the question is, um, what are the limits to this discussion, right? Do they have to be different types of impurity? Do they need to be um, right, just two separate entities, uh, and of course, as many of these discussions end with teku, right? We uh, we uh, are not sure what the answer is. Um, let's say a nadir and someone who is going to do the korban pesach, right? Again, beautiful for uh, erev pesach. Um, let's say they walked over uh, an unknown grave on the seventh day of their purification process. Um, are they still pure, um, right? And do we say that the this unknown source uh, does not forfeit their uh, current status? Um, so if the Nazir was before head shaving, he would be impure, but in the first case, he was already shaved for his um, impurity, and therefore he is pure. Um, for the Korban Pesach, he is pure, but he really needs to wait till the nighttime to become pure. Even so, um, this Tumat Tehom does not make him impure. Um, and, um, okay, the next Mishnah. If while digging, Right, let's say you're digging a, uh, you know, this happens in Israel all the time. You're digging a, let's say, to do some construction and you find a corpse um, buried in the Jewish manner. The Gemara explains that means they were lied, they were laid down with their legs straight and their arms like crossed on the body. Um, so now you, if you find one body, you can relocate it with the surrounding earth. Um, let's say you keep digging and you find another body, um, that's okay. But if you find three bodies within four to eight amot of each other, then we assume that this is a graveyard, a cemetery, and you must stop um, and you cannot remove the bodies and um, you need to check 20 amot around these bodies. And if you find another body in those 20 amot, you need to go another 20 amot. Um, and here the Gemara has a line, the Mishnah has a line, which is the, the Mishnah says, because there is raglaim lidavar. Um, those words literally mean there are, uh, we would say that if we have a leg to stand on. Right, there are legs involved. Uh, what does that mean? The fact that we found one, two, three bodies, now we have to assume that maybe we are in a cemetery. Um, and it's important to understand, uh, one second, let me show you, um, how they used to bury uh, in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara. Um, we're used to regular um, cemeteries where you have a field and you bury, you know, one plot next to the other. Um, in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, they actually used to bury in what's called a burial chamber. It was a cave uh, with like shelves 
dug into the wall um, and um, there were these recesses. You can see here what it looked like. I'll show you a, another case where it was like a double one where there's one burial chamber, then a courtyard, and then another burial chamber. So remember we said, let's say you find one body, you dig another, you find another, now you find three. You have to dig now 80 amot, right? Because within 80 amot, there might be another body. And if not, so then it's an isolated case. So DAF 65 explains to us what's going on. Um, so bodies that are found can be relocated because we assume that the grave was temporary. Um, but if the body was buried on purpose, we assume that it's permanent and you cannot relocate the, uh, the body. Um, And now um, the Gemara uh, gives some examples, right? If the body was slain or um, it wasn't buried in the usual manner, um, so then it doesn't count as one of these three bodies and you can now um, remove the other bodies. Um, like again, if you, let's say you found two bodies where they were lying head to feet, head to feet. Um, so again, that doesn't count because that's not the normal way to um, bury uh, a body. Um, and um, it's important to realize that Gemara says that when you um, um, dig up a body in order to bury them somewhere else, you must take the dirt that is surrounding the body because maybe things seeped into that dirt. Um, and um, okay, uh, the the Gamar explains, um, if you didn't find anything after 20 amot, then the three bodies are considered a cemetery, but um, you do not have to um, keep looking, meaning the rest of the land you can use. Um, the next Mishnah tells us, that if somebody was, ah, so now till the end of the Masachet, um, we had this, that we were going to have this theme of raglaim ledavar, which means um, you have a leg to stand on, meaning the fact that we are trying to establish a pattern, as soon as we establish that pattern, we can make certain assumptions. So we started talking about burial, now we're going to go on to different ideas. One is the mitzorah, the person who has tzarat, and their safek. They're not sure if they have tzarat. Um, if it's at the beginning, so then they become pure. But if the person was already impure, so then uh, they remain impure, right? And of course, this is based on a verse um, that, uh, again, um, if the person is already impure, they remain impure. Um, the next Mishnah, I think it is the uh, second to last Mishnah, um, talks about a Zav. Um, if you remember, a Zav is a person who has a, an unnatural emission. 
right? If we're talking about a man, it's an unnatural seminal emission, uh, meaning due to some illness, um, or a zava, a woman uh, who sees blood, but not in her, uh, not during days where she should be menstruating, meaning uh, some sort of unnatural bleeding. Um, so um, the Mishnah, to, uh, so to explain the Mishnah before we get to it, um, that in order to be a zav, you, the person, the man needs to see three, actually two unnatural emissions, um, and then a third one in order to be obligated to bring a sacrifice. Um, now, if the emission, the seminal emission was caused by an external factor, so then they would not be a zav. Um, so the Gemara lists here that there are certain things uh, that are seen as external factors that would not render a man impure. Um, these factors are uh, eating certain foods or drinking excessively. Uh, these lead to um, unnatural seminal emissions. Uh, let's say they were carrying heavy or jumping or some sort of illness um, or seeing and thinking uh, arousing thoughts. Um, once a person sees two seminal emissions, they become a zav. And then we don't care how the third one comes to be, meaning even if it was with these external factors, it doesn't matter already because they're already seen as a zav um, after the second um, emission. Um, if a person, ah, so now another case, not related. Um, if a person strikes his friend, or I guess not his friend, right? Another person. Uh, and then the doctor says that that person is going to die, and then they start to get better, and then they die. So the question is, is the original person uh, um, liable for that person's death? On one hand, um, the doctor said they were going to die. So we say they're going to die. Um, or maybe we say the person was starting the person was starting to get better, and therefore, um, right? They're, they have a leg to stand on, probably literally, uh, in the sense that they started getting better. So the person can say, oh, when they died the next day, that wasn't my fault. I like, might have hurt them, but they were getting better. So it's not my fault. Um, the Gemara says that this is based on a verse. Um, and again, we were discussing if there is a safek. Uh, the safek is um, if they were uh, the the emission was natural or unnatural. Um, okay, daf sixty six. We have our last mishnah. Uh, the last mishnah says Shmuel Samuel, who uh, was a prophet. Um, so, and the leader of the Jewish people before King Shaul. Um, so the Mishnah tells us that Shmuel was a Nazir uh, because it says that a, a, a Ta'ar, a razor, never touched his head. Um, and uh, it's just like Shimshon, right? Samson, uh, a razor never touched his head. 
Or the Mishnah says, wait a minute, or maybe it has nothing to do with razor, mora or more, it can also mean fear, right? Yirat um, shamayim is like awe or fear of God. So maybe it means he won't fear anyone. Um, so the Gemara explains that, um, right, the sages taught their sons, uh, quickly grab the cup of the blessing uh, that you make over the meal, uh, at the end of the meal, Birkat HaMazon, uh, and the sages say, it's always better to leave, uh, to, to lead the blessing uh, than to answer it. And um, maybe the Gemara says, well, maybe it's better to say Amen, right? We've learned that before. This is actually a machloket, what's better to make the blessing or to um, to say the words Amen. Uh, and the last Breita in the Masechet tells us that um, the uh, sages or the um, Torah scholars are the people who bring peace to the world. Uh, and if this is something that sounds familiar, you would be correct. This is actually a Breita that finishes four different Masechtot, uh, and uh, those of you who have been learning from the beginning, this is the third time you would see this Breita. We saw it in Brachot, we saw it in Yivamot, we're now in Nazir, and it's one more time in Kritut. Uh, and with that, we say Hadran Allah Masechet Nazir, um, and really, Kola Kavod to everyone for finishing this Masechet. It was not an easy Masechet, um, but maybe if everyone would like to, uh, if they'd like, first of all, if you have any questions, um, or if you'd like to say something that you learned, something you've gained uh, from this Masechet, uh, I think that would be very nice. So would someone like to say something? Okay, I'll be first. I'm still hung up on the witnesses thing. Remember, you had to have two witnesses to verify the new moon. That's not a court of law. Yes, they went to the court of law. Oh, they went, they to, went to the court of law. Yes, Thank they you. went to the court of law. Okay. Yes. Okay. You're still you're still stuck with that. I see. Excellent. I, no, I'm better now. I'm better. No, it's good. It's good to be thinking about Torah. That's great. Um, okay. Other other things that people have. Um, gained from this Masechet? Does someone want to share? Well, the women got to do, had a part in this too. I thought Correct. that was significant. Correct. Correct, right? It's interesting to think, we always think about um, male Nizirim, uh, but it is important to realize that women could be Nizirot as well. Uh, and it is something that, uh, that they could have, uh, that they could have done, yeah. What would be the process for for a woman? She also has to shave everything? Yeah. Yes. If you remember, there was a duff that said she should shave in private so that nobody yeah, sees her right. hair. So, yeah. 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 Remember, we said the husband can revoke the vow because he could say, I don't want a bald wife. You yeah. know, the rabbi asked if, and I, I was afraid to counteract him, but he said, does grape juice follow the same laws and concern and i thought you said yes but yes. It, I, it was it was a rabbi so i didn't open my mouth and say anything 
Yes, yes. Anything made out of grapes, meaning yeah. raisins, grape juice, grape mm -hmm. jelly, uh, you know, anything, okay. anything made out of grapes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just very interesting to think about this idea of a person who chooses to be a Nazir uh, and to think about, you know, after learning 66 pages about it, um, do we think that this is someone who is, you know, is this a good thing or is it not a good thing, right? We saw this idea that a Nazir is called Kadosh, right? They're holy. They're looking to elevate themselves. Uh, on the other hand, if you remember, we said that you bring a sin offering, meaning if you're bringing a korban chatat, uh, there seems to be some sort of sin involved. Uh, again, one explanation is that they, right, um, uh, Abstain. abstained from the world. Another is the opposite, right? They're finishing their nizirut. That's the problem. Uh, but it's interesting to think about, right? We we always talk about in Judaism the importance of being part of this world uh, and elevating the physical into spiritual. Um, but here we really do see a case of a person who wants to elevate their lives uh, in a certain way. So it's interesting to think about. I don't know if you want to uh, uh, take a poll of who thinks. It's a positive thing, and who thinks it's a negative thing? Who thinks it's positive? Raise your hand. Interesting. Who thinks it's negative? Interesting. Okay. Okay. So it's both. It's both. It's both. Very uh, Jewish of you. Dialectic. Very uh, diplomatic. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I think it's just interesting to think about. I I would say. Uh, for myself personally to think about uh, at the end of this masachet, uh, to think about how we can, we and nowadays can think about how we can elevate ourselves, right? How can we think about ways of uh, trying to sanctify our lives, right? We uh, are not going to be Nizirim, even though there was a famous sage uh, who lived in modern times, who was called the Nazir, uh, who took upon himself uh, to not, not cut his hair. Um, but it's interesting to think about what ways we in our lives can, can elevate ourselves, can uh, find ways to find spirituality uh, that's not necessarily in, uh, you know, not drinking grape juice or uh, wine, uh, or growing our hair. Uh, so, you know, some some homework for you to think about. Uh, I'm thinking about something all the time. I, whenever you talk, there's more questions than answers. The <laughs> rabbi says there's over 200 of the mitzvot, but I've always heard there's only about 40 that we can observe. What do you say? Ah, uh, so my husband actually, I wonder if it's still working. I have to see. Uh, my husband actually um, wrote a book of like, a chart of all the commandments, all 613, uh, mm -hmm. and counted up. Um, you're right that there are very few because 
Um, many of them are temple related. Uh, many of them are agricultural related. So most of us are not farmers. Um, many of us are not Kohanim. So those are also, uh, we're not priests. So that's not something that applies to us. Um, there are few, I don't remember the exact number, but I would say, yeah, closer to, uh, I would say under a hundred probably. I don't think more than that, but I can ask him. He would know the number. So for you, remind me. Interested in his response. Yeah. Okay, if you can email me, remind me, and I'll try to. I'll get back to you. Um, I'll try. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, first of all, Mazel Tov to everyone, and um, for those of you who are, um, uh, I hope you're all starting Masachet Sota. Uh, we started on Friday. Uh, we will learn together. Oh, is next Tuesday night? Is that Pesach? No, no it's Wednesday. Night. Night. It's Chamed. So I we'll we'll have regular class. Um, so we will learn the the first week of Masechet Sota uh, next week. It's interesting to know that there are forty nine pages in Masechet Sota, and there are forty nine days of Spirata Omer. Uh, so this is something very special that it's lining up pretty close, not exactly, mm -hmm. but pretty close. So that's just interesting. Uh, I hope all of you will celebrate uh, your siyum with, with friends or family. Um, so please celebrate. <laughs> uh, wishing everyone a Shabbat Shalom uh, and see you next week. Be'ezrat Hashem. Thank you. Thank Have you. Have a bye great bye. week, everyone. Bye-bye. It's a... Thank you.